Past, present, future, live. In-depth conversations and exclusive live performances featuring some of the most dynamic artists from the world of contemporary music. From Osiris Media, this is Past, Present, Future Live. I'm your host, RJB. This week, we're bringing you an interview with two really great musicians who come from storied families, Devin Allman and Dwayne Betts, who make up the foundation of the Allman Betts Band. After meeting as teenagers in 1989 on the Allman Brothers Band tour, Devin, the son of Greg Allman, and Dwayne, son of Dickie Betts, went on to separately play in a range of bands spanning blues, roots, metal, and folk for almost 20 years. They reunited in 2017 and toured on a shared bill, which quickly evolved into writing songs together and the birth of a new group, the Allman Betts Band. Their second album, Bless Your Heart, comes out on August 28th. Their sound, both live and on record, pays homage to Devin and Duane's musical roots while adding their own distinct style to the family tree. This latest album has a broad range of sounds and influences and is accented by horns, which is appropriate because it was recorded at Muscle Shoals. We talk a lot about chemistry between musicians, paying tribute to family, and what it means to chart your own path. After the interview, you'll hear Devin and Duane perform Shining, Norwegian Wood by The Beatles, and Magnolia Road. You can see videos of these and all other past, present, future live performances at youtube.com slash osirismedia. And you can find a link to a special Spotify playlist from this episode in the show notes. Before we get into the show, we want to tell you about two sponsors. So I'm a subscriber to nugs.net and I use the app every day. Seriously. I listen to live shows from Goose, The Disco Biscuits, Joe Russo's Almost Dead, Steve Kimmock Band, Jerry Garcia Band, Humphreys McGee, Billy Strings, My Morning Jacket, Bruce Springsteen. They have an incredible amount of live music. They have shows from a broad range of artists like Metallica to Wilco to Pearl Jam to Dead & Company and many, many more. Our listeners can get a free 30-day subscription by visiting nugs.net slash ppfl. And one lucky listener who signs up for the trial will get a free annual subscription. So go to nugs.net slash ppfl and get your 30-day trial and start listening to amazing high-quality live music now. Our other sponsor is Sunset Lake CBD. This Vermont company was originally a family-owned dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's, and in 2018 they decided to start growing hemp for CBD. They have some awesome products. They have some CBD coffee. I actually already went through an entire bag. It was a delicious brew and I was super relaxed all day. Their CBD edibles are also really great. I really like their stuff. I think it's really good. And their hemp is 100% pesticide free and they only use organic fertilizers. They also detail out everything they make. So you can check out third-party test results for all their products on their website. So believe me, you want to go to sunsetlakecbd.com and enter the promo code PPFL15 for 15% off your order. You can get CBD flour, gummies, tinctures, the coffee I mentioned, topical salves, and much more. So thanks to them for being a sponsor, and I hope everyone checks them out. All right, now we're going to get into the interview with Dwayne Betts and Devin Allman. And if you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into it. All right, I'm here with Dwayne Betts and Devin Allman. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? Good, man. Happy to be with you. Yeah, thank you guys for joining. This is our first episode of this show with two guests. So psyched you guys are here and it makes a lot of sense to have you guys both on. So thank you for joining. And I think we should just get into it. You guys 
just announced your second album, Bless Your Heart, which comes out on August 28th. And we're going to talk about that record and hopefully hear some songs from it at the end of this. But I want to go back to the beginning. Devin, maybe I can start with you. What's your first musical memory? The sound of the really like sultry sax line of the song Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty when I'm laying in the back panel of my mom's Ford Pinto heading to Padre Island Beach in South Texas with my ear on the speaker. That was it. It was, and I think I was four, so it would have been 76. And I just remember I was captivated. I was, I was like, it was a love affair. I was, I was mystified. I, it, it did something to me really, really deep down and it made me feel connected to something. And then I, I later would feel that with like my first vinyl album, my first concert. And those were just within five years of that moment. But that, that's when I knew, oh man, this has got a hold of me. Some, something just pulled me in. I know, Devin, that you later met your dad later on. Did you know that music was in your family at that point before you were captivated like that by it? Yeah, I think it might have been the next summer where I really put it together. I was listening to the radio again on the way to the beach on one of those kind of lost weekends. And when I got a little older, I was like five, six years old. I would quiz my mom, like, who's that? And she'd say, well, that's the Eagles or, you know, that's Jackson Brown or that's Jimi Hendrix. We had a great, great radio station that played. You didn't have to scan the dial. C101 and Corpus Christi did play the latest kind of rock song by Cheap Trick, but played Hendrix in the doors. And one day I said, who's that? And she said, that's your dad. That's (laughs) how I learned who my dad was. (laughs) Wow. All right. Well, we're going to get into that uh, story in more depth. Dwayne, what about you? What's your first musical memory? I'd have to say I, I was probably around the same age. And I remember going up to Virginia to see my dad play it was one of his solo bands i don't know the year but i was really really young and it was so early that it it's kind of like you know like a dream that you had that you kind of are like well was that real but you just remember certain things about it and i remember it was kind of like a an outdoor there was lawn and it was it was kind of like a smaller shed you know what you call a shed like a mm-hmm. roof over the seats and then lawn and i just barely remember that you know it's like this fleeting memory but that's probably my earliest memory of kind of, okay, so my dad's like does this music thing and, and, and then there's guitars around and, you know, and then of course in uh, like kindergarten, I was getting into like, I was in a Van Halen, but I was also into Run DMC. You know, that was a couple of years later. Those were like my first like loves that I'd walk around all day with my Walkman and, you know. Yeah. I wonder if that was, you think it was like Virginia Beach or something maybe that first show? I could definitely ask my mom and she would know. It's kind of an amazing early experience with music. It's just one of those earliest memories, really, you know, and then it gets a little further back and you just don't remember anything. Well, so when you're talking about walking around with your Walkman and listening to music, can you think of like an early album that that grabbed your attention or something that really you became fixated on? Well, I'd say the earliest memories of really being like passionate about listening to to a record over like my tapes over and over and over where uh i loved the run dmc and i I loved like 1984 uh from van halen i mean i listened to like the scorpions the first like classic rock record i really got into might have been the wall 
the wall and Jimi Hendrix and the doors and the cure, like there was stuff that was much later than that first memory. You know, I wasn't like three years old listening to the wall, <laughs> right. um, but you know, I might've been like seven, you know, Devin, what about you? Any early albums that, that grabbed your attention or early albums that you became fixated on? I would say the Beatles rubber soul was the first one that really, I remember, you know, we had like the big console stereo in the, in the living room. But then I asked for like a, like a small record player for my bedroom. And then it, you know, my, the living room kind of became a library for me. I would go and take one and just go off by myself and study the pictures and the engineering credits. And it was fascinating. I think I was five or six when, when rubber soul got me. And then, you know, through, through the next, bit of time um wings greatest hits because i remember asking my mom for the latest beatles record and she said well there, there isn't there they broke up and i cried <laughs> for like a day or two because i was like why That's would they break up to the best band in the world like i was so little i didn't understand <laughs> so she got me the wings greatest hits i got van halen fair warning at my eighth or ninth birthday party on That's vinyl awesome. and, and loved that Iron Maiden Killers was the first one I bought with my own money. So like those those few, like those really stick out. We're going to talk a little bit about how you guys met and became friends because I've read that there's a shared shared love for hard rock, heavy metal. And, and you can tell even by the albums you guys both mentioned that there's this parallel kind of appreciation forming, even though you guys were far apart, which is cool. But Devin, I got to go back to you just for a second. So what was your relationship like with music going from age, I don't know, six to 12 or 15 or whatever, knowing that you, you had this famous, you know, musician in your family. Did it change your relationship to music or change the way you looked at music? Not at all. No. I mean, I thought it was pretty cool that the one thing I loved the most happened to be what my dad did. I thought that was like, what are the odds of that? <laughs> you know, awesome. like, really? I was like, Jesus, my dad could have been any, you know, jack off plum or whatever. But he was he he was doing something that I already fully was knocked out by. But it but it didn't necessarily change like how I listened or what I listened to or the frequency or the or the intensity. Nothing changed. You know, if anything, it, it kind of made me want to meet him more. Like, holy shit! Like, you know, he probably knows so much. You know about music. I'd, I'd love to have this relationship. But I also knew that you know, something like that would would have to would have to unfold organically. It couldn't just like, you know, you don't just show up on his doorstep and go, Hey, <laughs> well, that's like a pretty advanced understanding of it all for, for a kid or teenager. I was an extremely advanced young man <laughs> without a doubt. You feel like music was kind of wired into you. Yeah. It bit me young enough to where I have to think that it was just inside there the whole time. Yeah. What about you, Dwayne? Was it wired into you? Did you experience music in the same way? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a fair assessment. I mean, I've told this story because people ask, but um, the truth of it is, is I had, you know, there was guitars around. There was like a small guitar that my dad got for me, that, you know, for the size of my hands. And uh, I just remember it just being really difficult and frustrating. And I just, I tried it and I didn't want anything to do with it. And I told him I wanted to play drums. So he went and kind of made a makeshift kit out of some spare drums that were at the warehouse where his band was rehearsing. And it was a big floor tom, 
like a really big floor tom for a kick mm-hmm. drum and uh, just some kind of spare cymbals. Maybe one of them was broken. I mean, you know, not that he couldn't afford a drum kit for me, but just to start out on, you know. And uh, he actually showed me some kind of fundamental drum beat stuff and got me started on drums. He was a pretty good drummer, as I remember. And so I started out on drums and I off I was running. I was a drummer. I mean, I was a drummer. And then when you're talking about kind of the metal stuff, later on, like fourth, fifth grade, that's when I got into some of the stuff that you're talking about, like Maiden and Metallica. But, I, you know, so I was always playing the tapes on my Walkman with my headphones on, bashing away. And it might have been Iron Maiden. It might have been I played the, uh, uh, the Who, Tommy, was mm-hmm. a record that I played drums to a lot, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. I have a second grader and, you know, she knows what music is and they'll sing along to songs, you know, from from movies or whatever. But you guys are talking about playing drums to albums in, in second or third grade. So this is like... Well, yeah, that, this was this was a little later. But early on, you were But yeah, it. I was definitely playing drums. I was definitely playing drums loudly. <laughs> like you could hear me playing drums in second or third grade, I'd say. That's kind of amazing. And do you remember when you like when you went back to the guitar and were like, okay, this actually does work? Yeah, I had moved out to California when I was about 11 or 12, lived out here for a year and a half. And then I came back to Florida to live with my dad for those kind of early teen, formidable years as a young man. And, and uh, I was playing with a couple of my buddies, would come over every weekend and we'd jam. And then we'd take breaks and, and the guitars would be sitting there with the amps. And I kind of started picking it up then. And that's when I started making the switch. Once you made that switch, you were just, you were going to play guitar. Yeah, well, it, it started coming easier to me. And I started picking up stuff. And I, I, I really started to enjoy the, the challenge of it and how expressive it was. And, and you could play melodies and, and you could play so many different ways and just started running with it, I guess you would say. <laughs> That's awesome. Devin, when when did you get into guitar? When did you get a guitar? When did you start playing? How did that unfold? It's such a good story. Well, first of all, from age five on, my mom was like, wanted me to play. And I was like, no, I just like listening to music. I don't want to, I don't want to make me like, you know, finally, seventh grade, Jason Morell's house, this kind of half douche, uh, in the seventh grade, half nice guy, half dude. Uh, you know, he's one of those like on the fence kind of friends. So I go over there and I, I'm in his room and we're like, we're playing like whatever Iron Maiden. And I look in the corner and like underneath some clothes and ball caps, there's a guitar. And I go, Jason, you didn't tell me you played guitar. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. I, yeah. I play like, yeah, play me something. He, oh no, you know, not right now, man. You know, one of those. And I'm like, no play me something now i want to hear you play so he pulls it out and he starts playing the the most wretched version of deaf leopard some deaf leopard side it was photographed <laughs> you know that 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 iconic yeah it sounds like ass but that was a eureka moment for me because the one thing about uh that the day at that house was that that was that was the first time I was 13 or 12. That was the first time I'd ever seen someone play guitar up close. And I went, mm, I can do that. I can at least try to do that because I can do it better than this guy. And I went home that night and said, hey, Ma, like, I, I want to play guitar. And of course, she, she'd been trying for eight, nine years. And she flipped out and goes and gets this 
Mexican, like we bought it in Mexico. We used to go to Mexico on the weekends when I was a kid growing up just for fun. And she had bought this, this shit ass nylon string. I mean, the neck is like, it's a base baseball. I mean, it's almost impossible to play chords on it. She's like, here, you know, get good at this and I'll buy you. I know you probably want an electric guitar. So you get good at this. And I go, all right, challenge accepted. Still have the guitar. So for all the parents out there, putting the pressure on your kids to do anything is not going to work as well as, you know, peers. Rock to say no. Because I know that she was like, you know, your dad's a musician. You probably have it in you here. You know, she was kind of always pushing for it. And it just made me like, it turned me off. Damn. Well, I'm, I'm glad you had that experience. Do you know, is that guy still playing his guitar, you think? No idea. Like, <laughs> even in the age of Facebook and shit, I, I never heard from that cat again. <laughs> we should, of course, talk about the Allman Brothers band. I mean, this is like a family band in, in every sense of the word, founded by family members and involving generations of musicians from tons of families. I mean, it's... If you look at the family tree that's come out of the Allman Brothers Band, it's kind of amazing. What age or at what point did you guys both start becoming involved with that community? I would say 1989, when the band reformed. I may have been around when I was one year year old or two years old, uh, but then the band broke up. So my memories were all my dad's solo bands. And then to meet you know, some of the legendary, the original roadies, Red Dog, Joe Dan Petty, those guys, the first time I met the family, so to speak, was in 1989. And that's when Devin and I met and, and Barry, Barry Oakley uh, as well. How old were you then, Dwayne? I was, uh, I guess I would be 11. And Devin, was it the same, same thing for you in terms of that, that timeline? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I met my dad in 88, finally, after all those years. And I was starting my senior year in high school. And I was just like, man, I'm going to learn more about what I want to do out there on tour than I am sitting in this classroom. And that was it. Yeah. I mean, because the end of that reunion tour is the first time I sat in and sang with the Allman Brothers. So certainly being around the, the band and the crew on the tour, but then, you know, actually kind of having a moment with the band on stage. And I really at that time was I had I had done theater all through high school and i loved the musicals i loved plays i i really wanted to be an actor and i didn't necessarily tv or movies but theater was really because that that live electric audience was really something i liked and i really actually went on that tour to to see if i could make a decision between acting in theater or performing music and when they got me on stage I was just like, man, that's that's pretty hard to deny that that energy exchange, you know, and I really like I like singing. I like I, I sing around the house. I sing in the shower. I sing to my puppy. I sing to my girlfriend. Like <laughs> I make up the stew. like I would never let it outside of this house. So um, that really was the difference. Them giving me that chance that set the stage for the rest of my of my musical life, you know, wow. however small opportunities or big ones that were to come that that cracked the door wide open and uh, i owe it to Dwayne's dad because he was the one that said you're singing you know, you're gonna sing with us it wasn't even my dad <laughs> Thanks, dad it, was, it wasn't even my dad saying hey you need to play you know it was it was dicky going man you could sing you're gonna you're gonna play with band tonight that's amazing so that's when you guys met 
that was the beginning of, like you said, kind of the next chapter for both of you guys. And can one of you guys tell us the story of how you guys met and how you became friends? It, it, I think it was like the first day that I had gotten there to the tour. And um, I think my dad said something simple like, hey, go, go throw your bags on the bus. Actually, no, because they were on separate buses. I forget what the deal was. Maybe I was just going up to get a Coca-Cola. I don't know. But I walked on and I saw Dwayne and he had long ass hair and he had the cassette Walkman or maybe a CD by that point. It might have been. And I could hear the metal coming out at like, you know what I mean? Like when you pass somebody and, and you and they, they have to have it all the way up because you can hear it. And it, it was a great story because I'm like 16 or whatever. Uh-huh. He's like 11, 12. And I go, hey, man. And he just kind of nods, you know, and he's a little kid. And I go, what are you listening to, man? What? It's loud. What are you listening to? And he pulls up the headphone. He goes, huh? And I go, what are you listening to, man? And he goes, Testament. <laughs> and he said it like that, like kind of a punk kid would say. And I was just like, I was like, wow, that's Dickie Betts' son right there. Like, it was, it was a really cool moment. And and half of me felt like. I don't know, like kind of shunned, you know, like Testament, what do you, what do you care? You know, but the other half of me was like, I like this little motherfucker right here. <laughs> He's a spitfire. But truth be told, you know, in 89, when you're 17, you're chasing pussy and parties and, and drinking and, you know, all that stuff. And Dwayne was, was 11, 12. So Oakley was 17 also so we we were running mates we were we would we were inseparable on that tour so Dwayne and I wouldn't become like closer closer till a little later in life and you know uh we'd end up on the same festival or the same cruise ship you know playing music or just going on a cruise because we go on cruises annually our families We love cruises. No, I'm okay. joking. We don't love cruises. All right. Cruises, I was going to ask you because this 20 years later, you guys decide, or almost 20 years later, you guys decide to put a band together. So what was it like in the, I don't know, intervening 20 years? You guys hang out often or, or rarely? How did that work? Yeah. I mean, it's like at that point, you're family. So it's kind of like you don't see each other all the time, but you know, you're part of something bigger than, uh, than the two of you. And uh, yeah, like he was saying, I mean, we'd run, run into each other at at a gig, you know, or, you know, he'd be in, come and sit in with my dad when I was playing with my dad's band. I, I think we ran into each other in the UK somewhere. We were on a festival. I was doing a gig with someone else and just running into each other here and there. And I got to ask back to the 89, you guys talked about all the kids that were around the roadies. Like, what was the scene like? It sounds like it was a, a true family atmosphere. I mean, I just picture dozens and dozens of people around all the time family members and crew and was it did it feel like a big family was it like a crazy huge family what was that like i mean the women were always pissed off at the men, and the kids were kind of always just running around doing whatever they wanted you know i mean so pretty typical yeah there's a lot of that that doesn't need to be shared or revealed you know, to protect the innocent. <laughs> but, you know, let's just put it this way. You know, the Allman Brothers were basically at that point when we met and were kids on that tour, they were the age we are now. So they they weren't done having a little fun. That's wild. If I can just sum it up like that. So there's was, there was still some some crazy shit, you know. I thought my dad was like totally clean and sober at that point. I was just naive. You know, and he was he was still rascaling with all that stuff, mm-hmm. even in his mid forties, and it made it hard. 
You know, it did. It, it wasn't all, you know, big rock and roll family style circus. It was, it, you know, every day it was like walking on eggshells. You didn't know if somebody was going to go too far with their recreational use of shit. You didn't know if somebody was going to piss somebody off. Like it was, it wasn't like going to stop at any second volatile, but it wasn't far away. It was kind of like, wow, this is what it's really like. You know? I think that's fair to say. Yeah, it was definitely, there was a lot of good times and a lot of great shows they played, but there was definitely, it was a delicate balance between all the personalities and all of the people's egos getting bruised and, and, you know, and how did that affect you guys growing up as musicians? I mean, did you try to take a different approach or is that just like part of musical life to have that kind of volatility? I can't operate with that kind of volatility myself. I, I can't like focus on the job at hand, the show, the songwriting session, the the interview, the whatever it may be. I can't, I just can't. I don't thrive in it. Can I do it if it's if it's in my realm that particular day? Yeah, I have to do my job. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't like to, you know, and the one thing I learned from that is take a step back, never lose your cool, you know, and make sure that the song is the boss and not you and make sure the song is the boss and not him. If the song is the boss, it it just wipes everyone out. Right. And I think Dwayne thinks a lot of the same, you know, and it, it makes a band like this possible. Yeah. Dwayne, anything to add on that point? I think it definitely shaped you and let you know that it wasn't always, uh, you know, wake up and smell the roses. I mean, you know, there was, there was some times, and like I said, there was a lot of great times, but yeah, there was times when I'd see my dad in a bad way, or I'd see Greg in a bad way. The other thing is, is I basically, from the time I was 13 to 17, I was homeschooled on the road. So I was basically out on the road the whole time. You know, I mean, there was a couple, everyone knows, I mean, my dad, was arrested a couple times and and but you know no one's perfect everybody has their issues and i had mine later i mean i went through all of that stuff for quite a long time you know and i i just got through it in the more recent years you know and close to 40 years old before i could get through it and you just take it one step at a time one day at a time you know but um i definitely prefer a non-drama environment and like devin was saying our band is pretty non-drama you know what i mean there isn't really a lot of drama yeah it makes for it makes our job a lot easier that's awesome we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back All right. So we're going to jump back to, I think, 2017. You guys got together and you recorded Down to the River, which came out last summer, but was recorded at Muscle Shoals in 2017 or 2018. And I read that that's the first time the full band actually played together. How how did that come about? And how did you end up there? Who brought the songs? How did that all work? You know, when my father passed, I I just wanted to kind of take a good chunk of time off. When it was time to start thinking about getting out there and, and making music again, I, I wanted to kind of start over. And so uh, I wanted a bigger band. And then, you know, I knew that Dwayne was wrapping up his uh, his time with the band Dawes. And he had been, you know, starting to sing a lot more and, and, and write songs a lot more. And I was like, man, wouldn't it be cool to, when we, we join forces and go out there together, you can open the show with your songs and, and you know, get some experience with that. And at the end, we can have a jam and play a tune of our dads and just, you know, 
it'll be a love fest, you know? Mm-hmm. And really that was the main thing was just strength in numbers. Let's, let's come together. We haven't hung out in forever. And after we got a few months on tour, it's like, Hey, you know, I wonder if we can write a song together. And, you know, we wrote a couple and we're like, damn, you know, we actually, we, we have our own chemistry regardless of who our dads are, you know, just the two of us have our own chemistry. So I think right then we kind of knew like that would be worth something. So it really was, uh, uh, you know, the band that I had with Dwayne's guy, Johnny, who I had known for years too, just kind of combining the two entities. Um, you know, the only one that didn't make the cut was my bassist at the time. He's incredible, Justin Corgan. But Dwayne and I knew if we're going to play together in a band, if we don't have Oakley, it's a crime. Uh, <laughs> and not just because he's an Oakley, but because he's just, for what we do, he's a monster world-class bass player. I mean, he's a sight to behold. And uh, he brings a lot to the table. So that was obvious. And then John Ginty, I had known um, from the past and had a lot of friends in common and had jammed together. And I knew that that my dad was his one of his biggest heroes. So he really studied what it takes to really be a great B3 player, not just play the thing, but actually fucking own it. Mm-hmm. And he really, truly does. So all the pieces fit together. You know, it didn't take a whole bunch of time. It didn't take a whole bunch of figuring. It just, it was all the pieces were there. And we said, you know, let's put them together, go in with these songs and let's go do it. That's great. And I want to pick up on something you said with, with you, Dwayne, which is the chemistry. Because, of course, a band like this, you could see it like, you know, a promoter or manager or someone would be like, it'd be cool. You want to get some other kids of the other band members and put it together. But it does, from listening to all your stuff, I mean, it, you can tell that you guys have real chemistry. What do you think that's based on? How do you, how do you guys meld so well together? Yeah, we, we have our own chemistry. Um, I think the band just came together organically and naturally. When you write a song with somebody, it's about trust, you know? They might want to change your song, and you might say your instinct is, oh, no, I, I like it. Or, you know, you have a verse, and it's phrased a certain way. Well, that first song, I had a little idea, and Devin liked it, and he changed it a little bit, and then it became better. And then that develops the trust, and then... The more that happens, then that's chemistry. I mean, that's where the chemicals are mixing and it, it's creating something else. And that's that's what chemistry is. So yeah, Devin, he has some really great ideas and he's brought so much to the table. And then I bring stuff to the table that he might not bring. And then, you know, uh, we write a lot with uh, Stahl Vaughn, who's a good friend of ours out of Kentucky. He's been an integral part of the first two records. So the three of us really have kind of aligned and i mean it's not that the three of us have written every song as the three of us but more or less we've kind of um captained the the vessel for the the songwriting process you know and it's been fun you know i gotta ask you guys about recording that album at muscle shoals because speaking of like a place with a lot of history particularly for you guys and the the family what was it like going there can either of you guys describe sort of the vibe or, or what you experienced being there I was on tour with my solo band a few years prior and I went to take a tour of the place, you know, and just walked in and was like, Oh my God, I could practically hear the intro of like wild horses, you know, it's just, you know, it was goosebumps. And I just remember thinking, you know, kind of inner dialogue, like you really need to cut a song here or, or, you know, a session or or maybe do a whole record and kind of kept it in the back of my pocket and, and didn't really think about it for a few years when we were about halfway through writing the first record i kind of pulled it out of the back pocket said you know where we should do this 
and it just made sense. And it's it's amazing to to do our little minuscule part of of adding to their story. You know, now now especially doing two records there, we really we're a little part of it. You know, and it feels amazing to be a part of that. Were there moments of recording in there where you felt the kind of presence, spirits, force, whatever of kind of the past? I mean, is it that kind of place? I think the moment you walk in there, you feel it, you know? I mean, you know that the bathroom there that is five feet away and that's where Keith went in there to get away from everybody to to work on uh, Wild Horses. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's enough for me. <laughs> right. I don't know. I mean, I, don't, I can't name all the records that were done there. There's so many. But, I mean, if they were in there and he went in there to close the door to, you know, get away from it. And- it's too heavy, though. I can't speak for Dwayne, but for me, when we arrive and the setup process is happening, that's when you think about all of that. And then when you're on a break and they brought in this fried chicken from, I think it's Champions, <laughs> and you're all sitting back there with all of the albums on the wall that have been done there. That's when you think about it. But when you're doing your work, you're not thinking about that. If you thought about that, it would really it'd mess up your game. You know, it's, it's an omnipresent feeling no matter what. But yeah, when you dive into your work, when it's time to, you know, count off the band and capture a song, it's that goes away. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You're not thinking about that, like in between takes or anything, you know, but then you walk out of there when you're done and you're like, oh, God, wow, we just did that. You know, it's it's not an intimidating place at all. If that's what you're asking, it's it's not intimidating that that stuff was done there. Yeah, it's a really comfortable place. If anything's intimidating, it's the fact that you're going in there for like six days and you have all these songs and you're like, how, you know, for me anyway, Devin's like, He's like, yeah, we're going to get through your day. We're, we're going to get it. And I'm like, oh, let's right. go. <laughs> let's see what we get. <laughs> so that, how did you guys feel when that album was released, Down to the River? I think I'll always, personally, I think I'll always be proud of that record. It was the first thing. But, you know, if, if that record was um, waking up, like, you know, opening your eyes up, then the second record is, you know, sitting up and stretching out and, you know, starting your day you know so so it was the first thing it was done really quickly i think that that we captured a lot of vibe we really set the stage for what the band wanted to be like aesthetically it's a great introductory chapter but now we're, we're really diving into the story you know with this next record it's really a next step for us you can hear the mileage you can hear the trust you can hear the care it's a little looser in in a good way and having the ability to to stretch out more absolutely I can hear that. I mean, I got to listen to the the album and, and we should say the second album is called Bless Your Heart. It's coming out in August and you released the first single called Magnolia Road. I've listened to it a few times. I think it's great. Uh, such a broad range of influences. Like I can hear some classic rock and some stones. There's some almonds sounds for sure, which I feel like Barry Dwayne Oakley's bass is such a huge part of that sound. Like that's, that's the part that I'm like, Oh, this sounds like the Almond Brothers, <laughs> you know, it, it, but, but not just the Almond Brothers. There's so much there. Did you guys take any specific inspiration in there? Or was it kind of just the collection of, of all the music you guys have been listening to? It's a collection of our influence. I mean, I think we definitely wanted to stretch out the the framework and and it is a it's a much wider spectrum of influences, you know. I think you nailed it. You know, there's some there's some really cool stuff and it's um maybe not the next step, but maybe skipping a step, you know. I think it's a really ambitious record and and uh 
and it's a good body of work, definitely. I love the horns, and and the horns are used in in I think the perfect way on on a bunch of these songs. So it's it's really cool. It has such a great flow as well as an album. And I have to ask about the song Savannah's Dream because I was really like captivated by that jam and and just the way that song flowed. Where did that song come from? Um, that's a tune that I just I had a melody floating around in my head. I think when I really started to work on it, I was in. I was either at my place in Jackson Hole or I was in a stairwell backstage in Cincinnati at the Taft Theater. Those are two places I remember doing my first voice memos on it. But I have that kind of Miles Davis-y kind of ethereal melody in my head. And then I just was like, okay, you know, let's do this. You know, let's let's go forward. Don't Don't compare it to something else. Don't just, this is cool. Let's do it. So I just put the parts together. And it's kind of like with something like that, you kind of, you just want to take them on a ride and let them out in the right place safely, you know, to where they feel, they feel safe at the end of it, you know? <laughs> That's a really good yeah. way to think about like it. It's a bit of a roller coaster yeah. ride and you're not sure where it's going, but then you let them out and it's, the sun's out and, and everybody's happy, That's you know? awesome. I like that analogy. Uh, Devin, how does it feel now to be done with this album and have it coming out? You talked about I think you said sitting up and stretching out, which I like that analogy as well. How does it feel to have it out there? And, and what do you hope people take from this album? I think we have a, an unprecedented context within this band. You know, the Rolling Stones offspring are not in a band together. The Beatles offspring don't all work together. I think we're the first offspring in rock and roll history to join, you know, half of a historic band into a, into a group. And we don't even really care or hang our hat on that. But the reason I say so is if there was anyone on the fence about the, the true nature of this group, if there was anyone on the fence when they heard, hey, did you hear an Almond Beth and an Oakley made a band together? If there was anyone on the fence about the validity or the sincerity of this group, I think that this is our statement that, you know, we, we are in love with being a band. We're in love with being in a band together, that this is something that's not drawn up in a boardroom, that this is something that really has an immense amount of feel. You know, every note on that record is true. Every note on that record, I stand behind and I know Dwayne does. And um, we don't make the record to have that effect. I just think inherently it will. This is, you know, even if maybe stylistically it's not for you, I don't think anyone can doubt our intentions. This is our life's work. I know you guys have had some time to reflect because you've both, I assume, been at home for months like all of us. (laughs) What what do you guys want to do Next, I mean, is there another project in the works? Are you guys working on songs virtually? Like, what what should we expect next from you guys? Well, I think, you know, there's there's such a pause with the current state of the world. I mean, I'm always forward thinking and, and kind of getting things ready for the next and the next. And, and, and you know, I really view the business side of, of what we do as, as a chess game. You got to be four and five steps ahead. So I think right now uh, I'm more in that kind of, you know, we have this extra time where we're not touring. So I'm more in that marketing mindset and how can we, you know, make sure this is heard and, and, and pushed the right way. And um, so for the first time in a while, I'm actually not sitting down and writing a bunch. 
also because, you know, we've got 13 tunes on this record. And as soon as the world kind of comes back to normal, we want to go tour. Even if it takes another 12 months for us to go out on tour, it's like we don't want to jump the gun and never tour this record. So it's bought us a little bit of time. Obviously, you know, if I get a song idea, it's going down on the voice memo and it's getting kind of cataloged and all that. But I haven't had a summer off in 17 years from touring and I like it. <laughs> I really like it. And, you know, we were talking about puppies before and, you know, I've got my puppy and, and my girlfriend and, uh, you know, my son's in college and I'm just like, wow. And I should second that with, I doubt I'll ever have another summer off. <laughs> right. You know, I'm enjoying it. That's cool. Dwayne, what about you? Are you writing new music? Are you taking the same time to kind of reflect and, and enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, when I was in Jackson, I was, you know, kind of hiking a lot and just being in nature, enjoying the, the silence, enjoy the silence, Depeche Mode reference. I was to that yesterday. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was writing quite a bit, actually. And it was something that I welcomed because sometimes it's not very easy to write. Sometimes you have time to write and you're not writing, you know, and we just wrote, you know, we worked really hard on this record. And I don't think that, you know, we need to jump back into the writing for the next record. But um, yeah, I was writing quite a bit and I think I probably got a few good ones out of it, hopefully, you know, that maybe could be, you know, hopefully it'll be used on the next ABB record or down the path if I do a, another solo record or something, you know. But I'm always playing, you know. Somebody asked, how does it feel not to be making music? And I said, well, if I'm playing my guitar on my couch, laying down in my underwear, I'm, I'm making music, <laughs> you know. It's been a nice pause. I mean, I know a lot of folks are hurting and it's a rough time for people. So I don't want to be insensitive to that. But for, for me, I mean, I've just kind of accepted that this is what the universe is, is offering us and there's a reason for it. And when it's safe and it's appropriate to go back, we'll be first to go, you know. But until then, I mean, I don't, I don't have any interest in going out and playing, even if it's legal, you know. If it's like legal in a place, but you really shouldn't be doing it like that, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to get into that, you know. Thank you for saying that, because I think that's the right choice. We got to wait till it's safe. And I, I do think this album is really cohesive, but there's like a lot, there's a lot of songs. It's really wide. There's, it's really deep. And I hope that people dig into it because I've, I've been having a really good time listening to it. So I hope we get to see you guys on tour soon. I think people with the state of the world have a little extra time to fall in love with it. You know, I hope that that's one silver lining from, from this for us, because we were a band out there really, you know, gaining a lot of momentum. So I hope it works in our favor to a degree. Can I ask you each the biggest lesson you each learned from your dad about music? With my dad, it wasn't kind of, you know, relayed to me verbally or anything like that. You know, it's something I still learn when I hit the mic or when I hit a guitar, it's to just let it ooze out of you. And I'm, I'm a very, you know, kind of intense Leo personality and I, I have to pull myself back. You know, my dad said it should just ooze out of you, you know, and that's like the best way to say it. I'm sure Ray Charles would have said a very similar thing. He's my favorite singer in the world and I have to restrain myself and, and still to this day. And I think that I'm finally getting better at it. It's a work in progress probably for the rest of my life, you know, to relax, let it come out of you and, and uh, you know, I'll forever be grateful for my dad being one of the masters at that approach. 
Ain't that the truth? Dwayne, what about you? I would say nature, you know, taught me to just observe nature, you know, the beauty of nature and uh, go play to nature. Go sit by a running creek or a stream or like a medium sized river, like a small river (laughs) (laughs) and go play to it, you know, go listen to the birds and play to that water. And then that's what you want to transmit is that feeling of, of what is just occurring naturally, you know, in our world, you know. Well, I think this album, Bless Your Heart, which again is coming out soon, captures what you guys both said. It's a natural record, I think, and I'm having a lot of fun listening to it. So everyone stick around and you're going to hear a couple of tunes from these guys. But Devin and Dwayne, thank you so much for joining and spending time chatting with us. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. And now here's Devin and Dwayne performing Shining, Norwegian Wood, and Magnolia Road. Hey, this is a tune off of our first record called Shining. Got me shining the 
first single off of our upcoming record uh bless your heart the song is called magnolia road and it goes like this
Thanks for joining us. Past, Present, Future Live is hosted and produced by RJB. The executive producers are Adam Kaplan and Kirsten Cluthy. Production, editing, mixing, and original theme music by Brad Stratton. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. Please visit OsirisPod.com to find more content and deepen your connection to the music you love. 